Stop the presses. The Yankees won a ball game. We look back at a gem from Davey Garcia, the team hanging out to a playoff spot by a thread, and look at what lies ahead for the Bronx Bombers. We also chat with ESPN Radio New York host and longtime radio personality Chris Carlin about the Yankees' disastrous stretch. All that and more next on the Pinch Right Pod from the New York Post. Here's a pitch strike odd. Welcome to the Pinstripe Pod, our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Chris Sheeran, alongside my co-host, four-time Yankees World Series champion, Jeff Nelson. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Chris Sheeran, yes, and Nelly is at NYNelly43. Stop what you're doing right now and go into Apple Podcasts on your phones, subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod, and then rate the show five stars and write in a nice review. We appreciate it. Chris Carlin will join us in the second half of the show, but first we get in the paper with our fellow Baldy producer, that'd be Jake Brown. A new car! That's how I gotta start it every time. That old gag, yeah. <laughs> the Yankees, guys, breaking news, stop the presses because they have won a baseball game. They ended their five-game losing streak Wednesday with a 7-2 victory. First off, do you guys remember what it was like to win a baseball game? Uh, actually, I do. Uh, Nelly, it was that 9-7 win over the Mets, uh, actually, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the one that got us that steak dinner? I, I think that was Actually, we beat you 9-7. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, here, I'm sorry. Yeah. Actually, it was the Mets winning 9-7. But the Yankees, I bring that up because the Yankees were 6-11 for 11 with runners in scoring position. And uh, since then, before last night, in their five games after that six for 11 with runners in scoring position, they were two for 32 over that losing streak of five straight games. And then last night they went three for eight and Glaber Torres really broke out. But I think, you know, we could focus in on Glaber Nelly, uh, but I think we have to focus in on the 21 year old Davey Garcia. And here's why when the Yankees have been in a slump, you know, who do you turn to? You, you would, you would think like Andy Pettit from the past, you would think a guy of CC Sabathia's ilk from the past. You would think of Garrett Cole with this team now, but instead it's a 21-year-old rookie in Davey Garcia. And I got to tell you, Nelly, the way he handles himself on the mound, he gave up a two-home run, a two-run homer to Parker, settled back down, settled right back in, held the Blue Jays in check for seven innings. This is something very positive after that five-game slide, which was absolutely brutal. And you could go back to the podcast we did before this to hear my thoughts on that. But I think Davey Garcia and Glenn Labor Torres having the game that they had last night is something that the Yankees could use as a springboard into the deep end moving forward here, Jeff. Well, with, with Glaber, real quick, I, I think it's so important for him to, you know, turn things around and, and you know, start carrying this team. You know, he had such a great year last year and, you know, he was hurt. And I think the 60 games was taking a toll on a lot of players. And it's, you know, the sense of urgency. Every game means three games, you know. I mean, if you if you lose one, you lose three. If you win one, you win three. He has taken his toll. And, you know, he's a guy that once 
he starts getting rolling, you have 17 games left. You need somebody in that lineup besides LeMahieu to carry carry this lineup because you have too many injuries. So I think that's a great positive that happened last night, especially with his home run. Now, David Garcia, I hope going forward, I, I think we can see that he's going to be in this rotation every fifth day. I, I would hope that that's what we're seeing. Outstanding job. I mean, he's had one bad start in the three starts that he's had in the big leagues. And, and that was against Baltimore. He gave up four runs and didn't go five or got into the fifth and he was taken out. It's exactly what the Yankees needed him to go out there and give him seven innings. And I hope they continue to let this guy grow. And with the, with the analytics and all this stuff about third time around the lineup and, you know, I don't like hearing it. I, I think it's the worst possible excuse for a pitcher getting hit. I hope they let this kid mature and let, he had 95 pitches. Let him continue to go deep into the game. And I hope that I hope that he's part of that rotation when they go into the playoffs because I, I I really can't see them not making it. Don't hold this guy back. You know, let him just keep rolling. Let him keep going. And, and don't worry about the third time around the lineup or, hey, I got to keep getting to that bullpen. And that's one of the things that I think was a positive because the bullpen struggled. I don't know how much Aaron Boone wants to go to that that quickly now. Guys, Davey Garcia has had, like you said, two out of three have been really good starts. Is it too early to say, you know what? I think this guy should be part of our 2021 rotation. Um, or do you think he should be, you know, very much considered? The way Garcia is pitching, how could you take him out? Uh, Jordan Montgomery hasn't really been lighting things up. His last three is 0-1. Uh, the Yankees are 0-3, and he's pitching to an 8 ERA. So unless he starts to turn around his ship, I mean, I would rep- if, if Paxton did come back, Nelly, I don't know about you as far as Montgomery goes for the rest of the season. I don't know if you want to take him out of the rotation, what that would do to him mentally, put him in the bullpen as a long man, maybe as a mop-up guy. I don't know. But Hap, we got to look at Hap. Uh, his last four, if you take out the Mets game where he blew up a little bit, he's 1-1 one one with a 141 ERA, even with the Mets game he's one and one with a 259 era over his last four so haps pitching better he's not going to hit his 10 starts though or 62 innings so he's not going to get that vesting deal for next year so jake asked about 2021 so you have hap who probably won't be back you have tanaka who's a free agent you have paxton who's a free agent so i would say a resounding yes that if garcia keeps pitching the way he's pitching he's definitely in the mix for the rotation next year i absolutely agree and, and you know the yankees with 17 games left besides Cole. Cole will get, I mean, going tonight, he'll get four starts, including to one, the one tonight. These guys who have three starts each, and you've got to ride the hot hand. You, you can't, and, and throwing Garcia in the bullpen is not the answer if you're going to keep Montgomery in the rotation. You have to keep Garcia in, in this rotation. He has been a spark plug. He's been someone that has gone deep into the game that you haven't had from even your, your most experienced starters. When Paxton comes back, who knows what he's going to give you. If he's if he's lights out and he can give you two solid starts going into the playoffs, I mean, I think that's, that's great. I mean, but the Yankees like going to their bullpen every single time. But I don't see them, the Yankees, you know, signing back Paxton, signing back Tanaka, or Hap. So there's three spots right there. I, you know, only because Hap you're not going to bring back. Tanaka, you're not always worried about injuries. And same with Paxton. Why do you want to go out and sign a guy where he's giving you 23 starts a year? That, that just doesn't work. Garcia's battery mate was Gary Sanchez. It has been Eric Kratz. It was Gary Sanchez. And El Gary has been El Scary. He's hitting 121 this season. 
And just a little stat I looked up, Al Leiter had a higher batting average when he was on the Mets in 2002. And we know how bad Al Leiter was as a hitter, as uh, Ron Bloomberg said how bad of a hitter he was. And Gary has been worse. He has just been a train wreck this year, guys. What do you think about him and his future? Because you have to start thinking about it. He struck out 49 times in 104 at-bats. Can you call him a starting catcher? Can you even call him a backup catcher going into next season? I mean, he's been with the organization since he's 16. We've seen great offensive output from him from time to time. But when do we stop making excuses? And when do we start looking at the numbers? You know, if everything is driven by analytics and Jeff, we know that everything is driven by analytics and everything is driven by analytics and you consistently ignore the numbers that he's, and I know he hit the, you know, 30 plus home runs last season, but I mean, we got to start looking at the bigger picture here. When he gets into the postseason, though, those home runs go away. He has six career postseason home runs, six. He turns 28 December 2nd. He's got 40 Ks in 102 at bats in postseason play. That doesn't that sound familiar? To what he's doing this year, 49 strikeouts and 104 at-bats. It's like the same thing. Last year in the ALCS against the Houston Astros, he was 3-for-23 with 12 Ks. When do we start looking into these numbers more? I don't look, I don't know if the Yankees are going to give up on this guy. It, from from what I've heard from the past, it's not happening. He's going to be on this team. But if it were me, give me Sal Perez from the Kansas City Royals. I don't know about you, Nelly, but I'm punching out here. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. You know, I don't know how much the Yankees are going to look at this 60 game season and say, you know what, this was an anomaly. You know, we're going to have to give all these guys another chance and give Sanchez another chance through a whole year. And uh, they love this guy. And I would be on the side of trying to trade him in the wintertime. There again, are the Yankees afraid? Okay, obviously struggling, struggling behind the plate, struggling at the plate. If all of a sudden he moves on and becomes a superstar somewhere, somebody's able to fix him, whether it's his catching skills or him hitting, changes just a little bit. Are they afraid of, oh, did we move on too soon? Did we go and, and trade him away at a time that maybe it took just a little bit of an adjustment maybe uh i I think the yankees are afraid of that happening i i get it i get it and if we could just keep going here for a second jake you know 2018 he hit 186 in an injury uh riddled season he only played 89 games nelly he had 18 homers he had 53 ribbies in 2019 i i alluded to the 34 homers last year but again it's like up and down up and down and i think he is worked on every season by these different catching instructors to 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 just re rearrange his incomplete defensive game do you think you played this game you've been around the game your entire life you've seen catchers your entire life does does the defensive side of the game jeff does it hurt catchers when they go up there in the batter's box i mean have you seen that in the past do you have any uh information that could help anybody out like is that getting in his head when he's at the plate well the best the best catchers are, are catchers first hitters second right and he is more of a hitter first than a catcher second and as far as a pitcher goes, 
I'd rather have a catcher first guy because I'm going to feel more comfortable throwing to him. Whether if it's there is a ball in the dirt, uh, I, I know that he's going to be able to block it. Uh, whether the guy steals and I give him a chance to throw him out, then he's going to be able to throw a guy out. And a lot of times, who cares about how they hit? A lot of the catchers that I've played with, with the exception of Pudge Rodriguez, I got to play with him a little bit. I mean, he was he was both. I mean, he was a great catcher and he was a great hitter. There's not too many of those. Uh, you don't find those around the league. Most of them, like I said, are, you know, I had Dan Wilson, I had Jorge Posada. Jorge Posada was a good hitter, but catching was always first to him. I think if you even asked him, he said, yes, I, I wanted to be a good hitter. He was a switch hitter and he wanted to produce at the plate. His most important thing was to catch first, get his starters as deep as he can in the game, get his starters to have confidence in him. Even Joe Girardi and Jim Leyritz, all the guys that I throw were catching first guys. And Sanchez is not a catching first person, athlete. He's a hitter first, and that not that's not working. And he is taking, you know, maybe the struggles of him behind the plate in the batter's box or vice versa. All right, guys, looking ahead to the Orioles this weekend, monster series. Who would have thought? The Orioles are 20 and 22. The Yankees are 22 and 21. It'll be Cole, Tanaka, Montgomery, Hap. The Orioles have a chance to get over the Yankees here in the standings. They are one and a half back. Uh, what do you think of this big four game set here this weekend? Well, it's going to be interesting to see, especially the first game uh, as we tape this on a Thursday. So that game tonight, Keegan Aiken, who absolutely shut down the Yankees in his uh, first appearance against them in the last series against the Orioles. He goes again against Garrett Cole. And think about that. You're a rookie. You're going up against one of the best pitchers in the game or his history is the, one of the best pitchers in the game. He hasn't really had that signature Garrett Cole season, let's be honest, but uh, we'll see what happens tonight. But if you're asking me if the Orioles or Tigers who are directly behind the Yankees, along with the Mariners, if they can catch the Yanks, I, I just think the Yankees, I, I know I lost it a lot on Monday. I, I, I kind of regathered myself before we came back on to tape this one today. And, you know, if they start hitting like they did in, in Buffalo against Toronto in that last game of the series and Glaber Torres could start taking off and Luke Voigt could couple up with him and Aaron Hicks starts to hit and we start seeing these guys in the lineup every day down the stretch and and the bullpen starts to pitch like the bullpen is supposed to pitch, especially Adam Adovino and uh, Zach Britton and uh, Aroldis Chapman. I mean, this team could turn things on a dime. And considering that the Orioles, after the four with the Yanks, they have to play the Braves and Rays for eight straight games before they get a little bit of a respite with the awful Red Sox for three and then back to the Blue Jays for another three. I just don't think Baltimore has what's left in the tank to catch the Yankees. Uh, and the Tigers have two against the Cardinals, three against the White Sox. They do play six against the Woeful Royals, but they also have four with Cleveland and four, uh, two with Minnesota. So the road ahead, Jeff, for Baltimore and Detroit is a lot more difficult than the road ahead for the Yankees. So it's going to be interesting to see if they do fall out of playoff contention right now as we tape this the Yankees are a playoff team but going forward unless they get Judge and Stanton back into the lineup that's going to be the deciding factor as to how far they'll go in the postseason yeah I agree and, and this is an important season I mean series with Baltimore obviously four games are only a game and a half in front of the Orioles but you know you're facing a rookie that you've already seen what he has and a lot of times the adjustment period for some of these rookies especially just seeing a team after throwing against them usually doesn't work 
work out and hopefully it stays that direction. But, you know, you have Cole. I mean, the Yankees obviously need to make a stance here because they're playing teams that just love the fact that they can go out on the field and compete with a team that they shouldn't be able to compete with. And SC Orioles shouldn't be able to compete with the Yankees, but they are. And they're a game and a half back. I can't see the Yankees not making the playoffs. I don't think the Orioles are a good enough team, regardless of what this series is going to happen, what's going to happen. The Tigers are not a good enough team. And then you can throw the Mariners in there as well. I mean, they're the three teams that are right behind the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees may get the wind up being the eighth seed, and I can't see them getting past any of the top four teams uh, that are in the American League. And they, they've done it to themselves, whether it's health or, or lack of production, both pitching, bullpen, and at the plate in the batter's box, but you know this this is a team that's not going to miss out on the playoffs, and 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 hopefully you know these last seventeen games they grind them out and and everybody stays healthy and maybe they get some of these guys back that are on the injured list. All right, guys, that wraps up in the paper segment. Joining the show next to talk more about the Yankees and his very interesting radio career is ESPN radio personality Chris Carlin. Joining us now, Chris Carlin. He's the host of Carlin Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 on ESPN Radio New York, 98.7 on your dial. He also hosts the Savages in the Box podcast with ESPN. I've known him for almost two decades, for crying out loud, and it's really hard for me to say that because I can't believe it's been almost 20 years. Christopher, thank you for joining us, pal. We appreciate it. It's great to be with you guys. What's going on? Uh, Not much. I mean, at least the Yankees got a win last night, but uh, before we start talking about the positivity of the win and Glaber Torres breaking out here, Chris, uh, your thoughts on the Yankees' struggles, you know, the five-game losing streak leading up to that Yankee win? I think it was a couple of things. I think what alarmed me the most is the notion that when you're not a good team, you find ways to lose, and that seemed to be what was happening for a few days. You know, I know this has been discussed a lot, but you know, one day you're hitting, but you can't get out of your bullpen at all. And and one day, and the next day you're pitching great, but you you can't hit a beach ball. Um, I think probably the thing that was most bothersome was the bullpen, considering that that was the strength of this team coming into the season. And even after they lost Tommy Canely, when you had games like you did against the Mets last Thursday, when you had games like you did the other night uh, with Adovino and company in the sixth inning, it, it's alarming to me that that was what I, I would think would be most bothersome uh, about it. Now, it was a little bit sharper um, in getting a win, but certainly you want to see that consistency come back out of what's supposed to be a, a strength of your team. Well, you know, let's go on that. Do you think the Yogi, I mean, they had so much about, oh, we have such depth on the bench and our, our bullpen is one of our strengths. You think the Yankees overplayed their hand a little bit going into the season, maybe taken for granted, or maybe thinking that they were better than what they really are? I don't know about that, I, Jeff. I mean, I, I, I think that they, I think maybe they thought that the depth was better than what it actually was, and I, and I get why when you see Talkman and what he did last year, and now he's come back to earth. When you see guys like. Tyler Wade, who is a great guy to have as far as deeper on the bench, that's 
That's terrific. I think the problem is it, it's not losing one or two guys. It's when you lose three or four guys that you start to get exposed. And when we think about last year, what were the things that were consistent? It was DJ LeMahieu and it was Glaber Torres. And, and those two guys, even with everybody else out of the lineup, were pretty much there every day and were pretty consistent throughout. So they were, they were really the guys who were able to help carry it. And now you obviously were without them for a little bit. You Torres is starting to get back to what he was. We know he struggled earlier in the year. So you didn't really have anybody who could carry it. The, the thing that would bother me is when you have the depth that you believe you do, but the, the guys who come in and don't do what they're there to do. You know, when Tyler Wade last week is, is there for two reasons, to play great defense and to be a, an excellent base runner. When he gets doubled off twice in two days, I mean, that, that just can't happen. It, it just can't happen. I mean, you're, the old phrase, you have one job, and, and that's, that's it. But um, I, I think those are the things that, that drive you a little bit more nuts. And you do find out that, you know, guys that you were able to find off the scrap heap, you, you found off that scrap heap for a reason. They're limited in what they can do, even though they're still capable of putting together good stretches like Talkman did last year. This this is the problem I had, Chris, uh, and, and it's pretty much cut and dry with me. If you're struggling, if you're toiling like the Yankees were before they got the victory against Toronto to end their losing streak, to me, and, and I understand DJ LeMahieu just came off the disabled or the injured list, excuse me, and Glaber Torres just came off the IL as well. You cannot be giving guys quote unquote days. If they're off the IL, they're healthy, they could play. You need to break out, you need to have your best lineup on the field all the time. You are playing for your postseason life right now. And I got to tell you, if I'm Garrett Cole and I go take the mound like I did last Saturday and I see DJ LeMahieu was on the bench and then I hear DJ LeMahieu say, no, I didn't need a day that excuse my language here, but that's going to piss me off if I'm Garrett Cole. And I think it did in a way. I mean, if you're Aaron Boone, I don't care what the hell the computer says. I don't care what anybody says about the lineup. You need to put your best nine on the field, especially defensively, to back up your best starter. The guy you just spent $36 million to come in here. Yeah. I. The thing that I thought immediately about it when I saw those, when you, when you got him a day, when you got Torres an extra day, was they were rushed back a little bit because they needed to be. You know, look at how LeMahieu hit, I would say, not immediately when he got back, but when he got back and, and he went into a little mini slump. And for him, that's what they usually are. And it just made me think, I mean, with a guy like that, he's so good, it immediately makes you think something's wrong when he does go into a slump, right? Um, it made me think that maybe the, the thumb was not 100%. And he's... Never a guy that's going to not want to play. I thought with Torres, too, when they brought him back and then they got him an extra day. Uh, same kind of thing. They they didn't want to screw around with it. And I I completely understand, man. You If you're Cole and you don't have him out there, it can't feel good. Um, I'm not going to absolve Cole, though, either. Okay. 
because that game in particular, you know, I know the runs were unearned, but you got to find a way to get yourself out of that. He continued to get hit, and I don't want to blame him completely, and I'm not one of the alarmists. Oh, my God, what a waste and all this stuff. They never should have paid him. No, of course not. He just simply has not been what was advertised so far. He's been good uh, up until the last couple of starts when he hasn't been, but he hasn't been Garrett Cole, and he hasn't been what you expected him to be and what you paid for. And, you know, Jeff, you can answer this better than me. I understand this. And, and you as a reliever had to live a little bit differently. But starting pitchers are, are incredible creatures of habit. They don't like to have their routines thrown off. Everybody's had their routines thrown off here. I just think that uh, he's had to roll with the punches a little bit better than he has. Maybe I'm being too harsh, but I don't know. No, I, I think I, I think sometimes you see the frustration, and the frustration with me, you know, you see all these teams, and I don't know if you're an analytic guy or not an analytic guy. I'm not. You know, I think there's a, a place for it. I, I think there's a place, uh, you know, also for a feel of the game. Um, you look at what the Yankees have done over the last couple of years, and, and in a lot of ways with their strength and conditioning, their, their their training staff, the analytic department, Blake as a pitching coach has really never seen a big league mound ever. When you're trying to reinvent the wheel, sometimes it doesn't work. And I think with Cole, you can have numbers. You can say, okay, this is how you get this guy out. And, you know, he hits 150 off of a slider. You know, when you're ahead of the count, you know, throw a fastball down and away. And in 90% of the time, you're going to get him out. You know, a lot of ways, pitching is mechanical. It's mental. It's mechanical. And in order to fix that, you got to know how to pitch. You got to know what to do as far as to readjust those mechanics. And I think you're seeing a lot of frustration in Cole right now because a lot of it is his mechanics. Uh, whether, you know, I'm seeing a lot that his elbows dropping, he's not getting on top of the baseball, his breaking ball's flat. And, and when you have a numbers guy, you can't fix that. And, and I think that also says a lot about these injuries that keep happening year after year that, yes, the baseball's changed. Yes, weightlifting and analytics has changed since we've played. We've never had injuries like this. And, and they're constantly getting hurt every single year. And significant players in this lineup that, you know, thought that, hey, 60 games, you know, Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton should be able to stay at least healthy for 55 of them. And you're not getting it. Yeah, it's funny, Jeff. I mean, I'm I'm of the same mentality as you. And I feel like there's a place for it. But guys who have been out there and understand what it's about and, and um, understand the mechanics of the whole thing, I, I'm with you. I, I I couldn't agree more. You have to have a healthy mix there of the two. It can't just be about the percentages all the time. And, and to that point, you know, with, with the injuries, I think about this. This was something that got lost about 10, 11, 12 years ago. I think about Nolan Ryan. I think about a guy that when he was running an organization, he was stressing more the need to push guys. Not the need to baby them, you know, the need to, to not just build strength, but really build the endurance and, and put them in positions where throwing 115 or 120 pitches is not like asking them to run into a fire, you know, and it worked. Guys stayed healthier when he was doing that. Um, and it's not just because he's Nolan Ryan and he's an unbelievable pitcher and a Hall of Famer. It's because of a mentality of building that toughness. And also physically being able to do more. And I, you know, I, I just think that, um, boy, I mean, for instance, last night was just such a revelation with Garcia because he had an incredible feel for what was going on. And, and what do we, I, I get so sick of hearing about the third time through the order bit. Oh, my God. Oh, I, mean, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. And the guy, and the guy last night, what did he do third time through the order? Okay. I'll pitch them differently. 
<laughs> and it works. <laughs> you know, my God, what an unbelievable concept. <laughs> and that's the analytics again. That's like that's just I mean, you look at all these guys pull the cards out of their pocket, especially pitchers. They take off their hat, they're looking at these cards. Everything because of analytic analytics have been robotic. You know, with Britain last year in the playoffs saying, oh, you know, our bullpen has been overexposed to the the Astros. Overexposed, you know, you don't, you don't get guys out the same way every single time. I went into a series, a four-game series, or even the World Series, whatever it was, I'm facing the same hitters probably four and five times. And you can't get them out the same way. you got to learn how to get them out a different way, not what the card says all the time. And Chris, before before you keep going here, I, I just want to piggyback on what you said on Nolan Ryan, because I remember when he was on with Mike and Chris, when we were both producers on the Mike and the Mad Dog show, you for FAN and me for the S Network. And uh, I remember Ryan saying not only the points that you brought up, but he also said not only the length, but if you get a young pitcher into a situation in the fifth inning where he gets himself into a pickle, second and third, first and third, no out, one out, whatever, he's got to learn how to get out of those situations. If you're yanking the pitcher, if he gets into trouble, how is he going to learn to get out of that? And so what we saw from Garcia last night, if I could spin it back to that, uh, is very promising for the Yankees looking ahead. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely loved it. I, I can't get over just how his demeanor is on the mound um, and how, and listen, he's not going to go out there and jump around and be nuts and, and, and be overly stressed. But, you know, if he is, he has an incredible way of hire, of hiding it. I, I agree. I'm boy, am I encouraged by that? And that's why for anybody that wanted to get on him, if the price tags are what they are, that's why Brian Cashman's not trading Davey Garcia to get Lance Lynn, you know, and and Lance Lynn has pitched well this year. But if Garcia is the ask or Clark Schmidt is the ask, that's why you don't do it, because it's guys that they thought would help them this year. And I, I think that Jeff, I, you know, and I, I defer to you on, on on a lot of this stuff because you you know how the emotional part of it, too, in a clubhouse can help. But when you get a spark from somebody that you're not necessarily counting on or expecting to, I would think that's got to be able to give you a big mental lift. Like, hey, maybe we got something here. Well, it definitely does because, you know, the Yankees didn't go out to make a trade and there really wasn't anything better out there than what they already have. And you're, I think you're seeing it in Garcia. I think you have it in Schmidt. Lance Lynn, they've been there, done that kind of thing you know they've seen I'm not impressed with with okay he's having a great year uh maybe it's helps a little bit that there aren't any fans in the stands especially in New York that you he don't throws, have to worry he, about he throws three different types of fastballs I mean like you said now he's yeah. been there done that I know he's been successful but you come into to a playoff situation you're throwing fastballs to, to teams in the playoffs good night yeah no i mean no doubt i mean you, you've already seen that and and i think a lot of it probably helps because there aren't any fans in the stands so you're you know your your home players aren't going to hear your home fans jump all over you when you struggle uh but yeah you know usually when you make a trade it's a really uptick in the clubhouse you're like all right our organization is is doing something and then here we go let's 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 uh Let's strap it on and we're going to finish this thing off and we're going to go to the World Series and win the World Series. But there really wasn't anything out there. With the eight teams in each league in the playoffs, there's not a whole lot out there to be traded for. You know, you've seen some teams like the Padres. You look at the Blue Jays. They made a lot of moves. But, you know, as far as with the Yankees, they had to get healthy. They have to get healthy. And they already have better than what was out there as far as pitching. There really wasn't any pitching out there that was worth giving up, guys. Yeah, I, I just don't. 
I didn't have a problem with them not doing anything, but the health is what concerns me. You know, I, I just, I think as constituted, they have enough to get home and get, and get into the playoffs without an issue if they play the way they're capable of. But I don't know much beyond that. You know, if they end up in a in a one eight or a two seven series and they're playing the the race, I think you can pack it in. I, you know, with Judge and with Stanton, certainly with Stanton, I don't count on him being back this year because I don't hear anything that makes me think that's the case. And with Judge, um, they're saying hopefully by the playoffs. Well, we'll see. Um, and, and I know this is probably the first time that fans are coming around to it. You're really going to have a lot of decisions to make here in the next two years or so about what direction you're going to be headed. And I have a feeling that the Yankees are going to be headed more in the Glaber Torres direction than they are in the Aaron Judge direction uh, for the long haul. Hey, Carl and Jake Brown here, the uh, fourth member of the fourth bald member of this conversation. Wow, this is outstanding. I didn't even think of that. We're at a Steve Harvey oh Steve Harvey doppelganger convention here, virtually here with the four of us. Um, now, now, Carlin, you, you've had an interesting career. You interned for Mike and the Mad Dog. Then you were their producer in the late 90s. Um, and then, you know, 15 to 20 years later, you ended up replacing Frances on WFAN. First off, I got to ask one simple question, and it's this. What kind of fan are you? <laughs> I'm a Steelers fan. Okay, Steelers, right? Yeah, I mean, listen. Yeah, there's a reason I'm bald, and that's it. <laughs> well, I had no idea. Uh, Sharon told me you are a Texas Rangers baseball fan. I am. I, I so I was How a huge Met fan. I, it's bizarre. I, I had a huge. I was a huge Mets fan growing up in the early '80s, in the early to mid '80s, and they win the World Series and all that. And then, but Mookie Wilson was my guy. And in the meantime, my brother, one of my older brothers, had moved to Texas in, in 1985 and had gotten, you know, was a lawyer. And uh, we went to. I went to visit him. We went to a bunch of games uh, to see the Rangers play at the old Arlington Stadium, which was just a, a complete dump. And um, <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> the first time I had ever seen the urinals that were troughs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for some reason, I think, you know, the Mets traded Mookie in 89 and I just bailed. I, I, I was like, I'm done. It's over. And I think it's more about me needing to root for a loser than anything else. I, I really had to to do that. And that's, I still am in fact with them. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think that's it more than anything else. So yeah, I just switched allegiances when Mookie got traded. I was that ticked off. I mean, you act like the Mets are not losers. We are very much losers. So you could have stuck along well, with, uh, yes. with them. I know, but at the time, like I, I was leaving in the heyday, I felt, you know, I, I felt like I'm leaving this organization in good hands. <laughs> They've won a championship. Yeah, it's it's haven't won one since. So you might have left at the good, yeah. good time. Uh, what was it like being behind the glass for you know, Mike and the Mad Dog is what made me get into this industry. It's probably the greatest sports radio show of all time. What was it like being on the other side? And I'm sure you have. Obviously, too many stories, but I know Shearney worked with you as well, and I can't imagine the endless stories and the fights that you saw and the off-the-air scenes that happened. It must have been pretty insane. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I got the job when I was 24, which I grew grew up listening to them too, and I, I was kind of blown away that 
I was getting this chance uh, in, in late 1997, but it was incredible. It was remarkably stressful. It was something that opened doors for me career-wise, yes, but getting me, I mean, I've been to 11 Super Bowls and, and that's why, you know, um, it, it's it's nuts. Um, it, it was as fun as could be. It was as miserable as could be some days. And Chris can certainly uh, attest to uh, rough days that I had along the way, but um, I wouldn't trade it away. That's for sure. I mean, my favorite all time, I mean, there, there were really two and I'll just make them as quick as possible. The first one was when Saving Private Ryan came out and the two of them are talking about movies and they're talking about the movie and they went on for 15 minutes about it and dog at the end of it just said mike listen one thing i learned here war is bad war is bad mike <laughs> like really that's what we took out of it we finally figured out war is bad okay <laughs> i thought you were gonna and go with the, second... the daredevil one is true story that's a classic yeah, no i wasn't i was uh I wasn't around for that one. I was gone by that one. But I, I um, the other one was, uh, you know, in 2000, we went to the Knicks Pacers in Indianapolis. Yes, and I was going to ask got, you to tell this story. <laughs> yeah, it was it was amazing. It, you know, Mike's room wasn't ready. It was before the game. And so they were hanging out in Chris's room and they had a small couch and they're watching TV as they came back in and was finding out about Mike's room and I opened the door. And they're watching the movie The Horse Whisperer on TV. And it's uh, Robert Redford and Kristen Scott Thomas. And I opened the door and I said, Mike, listen, room's not ready yet. And then all of a sudden I get a shh. And I guess it's a very dramatic scene. I still haven't seen the movie to this day. But I guess it's a very dramatic scene where Redford breaks up with Kristen Scott Thomas. And at the end of it, Dog turns to Mike and he goes, Mike, listen, had to break up with that woman. She is lost. She has no idea what's going on. Very much a tumultuous time in her life. And Mike turns back to Dog and says, absolutely right move had to do it and and i just like what am i walking into here and i just turned, <laughs> turned around and walked out because they were breaking it down like it was nick's pacers it was an amazing moment i guess you can't shut it off and and we had some we had some doozies you know we had the snoop mic so we could listen to you and melusis's uh conversations <laughs> they they will stay between us by the way but they were like you like you said chris i mean look uh, you could talk about all the stress behind the scenes and everything else because there was, and I, and I saw what you had to deal with and look, you're dealing with two guys that have Marconi's they're the, they're the, you know, they're the best in the business and they expect the best, but, uh, at the same time, besides all the stress, when when you need to be taken care of, these guys, I remember, you know, those Christmas shows when they had you in the studio and they exchanged gifts with you. That, that was that had to be a special moment for everybody. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Listen, if you needed anything, you know, at the time. I can't, they floated me loans. You know, I wasn't making a, a ton of money or anything. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to say I was able to pay it all back eventually. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, th th that was that was the truth about it at the time is that if you needed anything, they were they were absolutely there for you to help you out. Yeah, because they knew. So savings and loan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, they were interest free. I will give them that. It's funny. I completely forgot I was going to, the last one for you. You, Chris and we appreciate the time at SNY. I I interned there and I forgot. I think I got you a pizza once. I I, I got like you and Bobby Ojeda like pizza or coffee and 
who would have thought, you know, 11 years later, you'd be on here with us. But I, I do miss you on SMY. You know, those were the glory days. I think this was like 2011. I interned there. And I remember the best, one of my, my favorite show that SMY doesn't do anymore was Beer Money. I mean, just a classic trivia show. You guys go to random bars around the city, find some hool- drunk hooligans or just New York sports fans. And I'll always remember Cowbell Man got out on like the first question. And I questioned his Mets fanhood forever after he lost the first question of Beer Money. Oh, what a fraud. Yeah. I mean, honestly, <laughs> uh, beer money was the best gig that I have ever had for the, all right, here's a microphone, go have a beer and make fun of people. Okay. I can make that work. And, uh, yeah, that was a blast. That was an Can we bring blast. that back and I'll be a fun. part of it? I would love to do that. Yeah, I, they need to oh, bring it back. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I wish they would. I, I wish they would. Uh, there had been rumors about it uh, a couple of years ago. I was not uh, involved in that project, but they did not bring it back. I wish they would because it was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, do you know what, yeah, I, you know what I would love to see? I would love to see this. I would love to see Chris Carlin with the long, skinny stick Gene Rayburn microphone hosting, hosting, wait for it, sports match game. That I would be locked into. Yeah, I would. uh, Listen, I would absolutely like I'm just assuming this is all going to fall apart at some point. So. When it does, if there's, yeah, I mean, it's a fair assumption. I mean, given my history, but uh, you know, when it does, if I can turn it into being a, a game show host, I, if that came along, I would leave it all in a second. I would absolutely leave it in a second. I did beat the booth for a couple of years with that. I insisted when they asked me to do it, I said, I don't care if it works or not. I'm going to have that Gene Rayburn mic. And I did, and it, it didn't work at all. <laughs> We could bring all these game shows back from our childhood uh, with a sports twist. And as long as you put me on the match game panel like Charles Nelson Riley, oh, I, you know, I'll, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. As a, as I don't a know regular. if I see you with an ascot. I don't know about that. <laughs> Nelly, your thoughts? <laughs> I'm enjoying listening. <laughs> Yeah, listen, it's it's uh, yeah, it beats the hell out of working. That's for sure. Yeah, it does. And Chris, we 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 really appreciate you coming on. Uh, listen, I, I can't begin to tell you, and I and you had me on your radio show on ESPN again. You can listen to Carlin Monday through Friday, seven to ten p.m. on ESPN Radio. And I said it there, and I'll say it here. Cream always rises to the top. You're talented. You deserve everything that comes your way. And the rug is not going to be ripped out from under you. You always have a job because you've got the personality and you've got the talent, pal. So we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. And we look forward to having you on again in the future. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap for episode 26, the DJ LeMayhew or El Duque episode of the Pinstripe Pod, our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Make sure to subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're using Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and please write a positive review. We appreciate your support, like Bartles and James. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We'll be back Monday following a key four-game set against the O's. Enjoy your weekend and the return of football. Also, look for our producer, Jake Brown, on the Jets and Giants New York Post podcast as well. Talk to you Monday. Stay safe.